Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. You better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to a special Back to Jerusalem podcast, a series called Spies, Drugs, and the Great Commission, where we look at one of the biggest tragedies to ever hit the Christian community inside of China, but was then followed up with one of the greatest missionary responses in world history. As we look at the events that took place inside of China during the Boxer Rebellion, as we talked about in our last episode, we see that it was considered to be what took place with the Boxer Rebellion inside of China that most people are not aware of. What took place in 1900 was the worst disaster in missionary history, which is a quote directly from Wikipedia. Now, what led to the Boxer Rebellion, many people will tell you, it was because of the occupation of foreign governments inside of China, which is true, partially true. And then also they will follow up on that, that missionaries were a part or at least blamed for the occupation of foreigners. And I'm going to deviate a little bit from history and say that the reason why Christians were focused on so strongly for the, for the ire and the anger of the boxers, the, the Chinese fighters inside of China, was because, and many, much of this might not make sense unless you have listened to the prior podcasts, but I believe that the boxers invited themselves to be possessed by demons, which is, which is recorded in history. But by being possessed, by being demon-possessed, by opening themselves up to become vessels for demons, they were controlled by these demons and went out and specifically hunted down and killed missionary men, women, and children with the hopes to destroy the ambition of any Christian missionary that would ever dare to go and walk on Chinese soil and share the gospel with the Chinese. The thing is, is that the missionaries did many great things while working inside of China. Now, a lot of people may not know the kind of contributions that they made inside of China, but not just China, but to the rest of the world by serving in China. You see, one of the things that the, China, the, 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 the missionaries to the Chinese was able to discover is the danger of drugs. Now, I know that sounds pretty elementary to you that are listening to thinking, anybody that takes drugs knows that drugs are dangerous. But you may not know that that's not always been the case. There was a day when people felt that, you know what, Cheech and Chong are not that bad, that, that smoking drugs and getting high was not a bad thing at all, kind of like 2017. You see, danger in the 1890s, the effects of opium use were still largely undocumented by science. So even though we can look back today and say, well, that was quite evil for the, the, the British government to get Chinese hooked on opium so that they can use the opium, um, um, as a currency to bring in goods for next to nothing into the England. 
the, the, the truth is, is that in the 1890s, many people didn't know the dangers of opium. We just take that for granted today, but that was not the case. I mean, Protestant missionaries knew that opium was bad. They knew that it was addictive. They knew that it destroyed lives. They knew that it was against the ideas of a holy, just, loving God. But they needed data to demonstrate the harm of the drugs. So missionaries in China compiled data to demonstrate the harm of opium, which they had observed. They were outraged that the West was not talking about the damages of drugs. So what did they do? They created the Anti-Opium League in China. This was the name of an organization started by missionaries. The Anti-Opium League in China, even if you studied about the the, the, the wars, the Opium Wars and the Boxer Rebellion, if you've studied about it, you might walk away, especially if you watched watch any. I dare I, I, I challenge you. I don't know if I want to use the word dare, but I challenge you. Go and watch a documentary on the Boxer Rebellion. They're not just going to put a lot of the blame at the feet of the of the merchants from from uh, around the world, but primarily Britain. But they will also lay the blame at the feet of the missionaries. Now, some of them are kinder to missionaries than others. Some of the documentaries, some of the documentaries are kinder to missions and missionaries than others. But they all kind of insinuate that missionaries kind of got what was coming to them. What you may not have heard about is this Anti-Opium League in China, which is a group that was started by missionaries to combat the impact that opium was having on the people that they loved in China, the Chinese. So among their colleagues, the missionary colleagues, in every, at every mission statement, um, they were able to put together this anti-opium lead for which the American missionary Hamden Coit Du Bois uh, served as the first president. So the first president of the Anti-Opium League in China was an American missionary. And this organization was instrumental in gathering data from Western-trained medical doctors in China. The, the, the medical doctors that were Western-trained were a, a very um, uh, amazing commodity inside of China. The, the, these, these, were the, these were golden eggs in China because Chinese that were sick were not being able to be help, helped by taking random roots and special massages. So Western medicine, missionaries who had been trained in medical care, were able to do a lot of good for those that were sick and hurting and dying inside of China. Western missionaries saved many lives inside of China. They saved the lives of dying children, dying orphan children. You know, if you read the book about the foreign devil, which is a, a book done by um, uh, Ruth Bell, Ruth Graham's uh, father, Ruth Graham being the wife, of course, of Billy Graham, her, her, her maiden name was Ruth Bell. Um, her father, Dr. Bell, uh, served as a missionary doctor in China for 25 years. I think it was 25 years. But Ruth can remember walking along the road, going to school in the morning and seeing 
abandoned babies laying in the ditch, <clears throat> babies that were left to die. And the reason they were left to die is because the Chinese had a superstition that if babies got too sick, you take them out and basically leave them to die on their own. They die of dehydration or starvation, or maybe they're eaten by wild animals. But they would just be tossed on the side of the road because the Chinese believe superstitiously that if a child died in your home, their spirit would haunt you. So they would take the baby out of their home and just throw them in a ditch. And, and many times Ruth Bell brought those babies home to her father who was a doctor and he saved their lives by practicing Western medicine that he was trained in. These are the stories of many Chinese that were going to die but actually had their life saved by Western missionary doctors. So these Western missionary doctors, they come together inside of China and they publish their data and conclusions in an 1899 document uh, as, as op opinions of over 100 physicians in China uh, gave their, gave their um, analysis on the use of opium in China. The survey included doctors in private practices, particularly in Shanghai and Hong Kong, as well as Chinese who had been trained in medical Western schools and in medical Western in, in, in Western countries. In England, the home director of the China Inland Mission, Benjamin Bromhall, was an active opponent of the opium trade. He campaigned against it. He fought against it. And he wrote two books to promote banning opium smoking. Truth About Opium Smoking is one of the books that he wrote, and The Chinese Opium Smoker. Both of these books did not look uh, uh, kindly upon opium and those that dealt opium, which was the British military. In 1888, Broomhole formed and became the secretary of the Christian Union for the Severance of the British Empire with Opium Traffic. Wow, that's a long name. Whew. Holy cow, I wouldn't want that. I mean, that, that's, that's quite an organization. You would think they would, they would shorten it down a little bit. I'm sure there had to be some sort of, um, cuss, cuss beomped, beout, cuss beout, cuss you out, cuss beout. Um, Christian Union for the Severance of the British Empire with the Opium Traffic. And he was this, this missionary, was the author of the first periodical, National Righteousness. That was the name of the periodical. And he lobbied the British Parliament to stop the opium trade. He and another guy by the name of James Laidwell Maxwell appeared to the London Missionary Conference in 1888 and then Edinburgh Missionary Conference in 1910 to condemn the opium trade. As he lay dying, the government finally signed an agreement to end the opium trade within two years. So the opium trade in China did not stop because the Chinese were able to win a battle against the Brits. No. The, 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 the opium trade didn't stop because the money dried up. No. The opium trade didn't stop because it was no longer lucrative. No. The opium trade stopped because of the actions of missionaries who were serving in China and loved the Chinese people and fought for them. And they didn't just fight for them, they fought for others who could not stand up for themselves. The very first Chinese women's rights movements were supported by missionaries. 
the rise to prominence of women missionaries also gave rise to missionary opposition to Chinese foot binding, which was a common practice inside of China where women would, young girls would have their feet wrapped tightly in garments where their feet couldn't breathe. And, and bones were, were bending and, and restructuring and, and broken and never really able to fully heal. Pus and the smell of, of feet that rarely saw the light of day was absolutely disgusting. And it was difficult for women to walk anywhere. So they had to be very reliant upon other people. Now I've seen women with bound feet. They're a dying breed inside of China and their foot is, is literally only a couple inches long, about the, the, a, a little bit longer than their ankle. That's right, their ankle. It's almost like their leg moves into a stump. And for some reason, the Chinese found that very attractive. But the girls would cry. Mothers would cry as they wrapped these tight um, garments around the feet of their daughters, keeping their baby's feet from growing. And these babies would cry in pain as their bones just so badly wanted to breathe. As the rest of their body was growing, their feet were kept from growing, put into these cages of wraps that went around very tightly and many times over and over again so that they would be strong enough to resist the growing bones. And although male missionaries often considered foot binding as a matter of conscience rather than a sin against God, female missionaries vehemently opposed the custom as females would. They had empathy for the other women. And in the 1860s, American Presbyterian Helen Nevius and others combated foot binding by matchmaking, finding Christian husbands, Chinese Christian husbands, for young women with unbound feet because women with unbound feet could not get married. The most important person in the marriage ceremony is the mother-in-law of the groom. And the mother-in-law would go on the wedding day of, of the bride and, and lift up the dress of the bride to see if the feet were bound. If they were not bound, she would look away in disapproval and the marriage wouldn't go forward. And that woman may never find a husband because only good people, good men, good Chinese men would marry a, a woman with foot binding. That's the only kind of women they were allowed to marry. So American missionaries and European missionaries uh, an American Presbyterian specifically started a group that found Christian husbands that would marry women with unbound feet that freed up so many women to know that they could still get married. They were still valuable. They were still desirable, even though their feet were not bound out as was required by the Chinese custom. You want to keep preaching about the superior customs of, of the, 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 the people that are indigenous you see, there are certain things you can say, oh yeah, no, that's bad. But who are you to say it's bad? If the majority says it's right, then it's right. End of story. Unless there's a God. Now, every man is created equal. Endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights. These rights are given to us by our creator. Therefore, they cannot be taken away from me by man. But if they are given to me by man, they most definitely can be taken away from me by man.
1872 in Beijing, American Methodist Mary Porter, who became the wife of a Boxer Rebellion hero, Frank Gamewell, banned girls with bound feet in her girls' school, which she started. And in 1874, an anti-foot-binding organization was founded in Xiamen that she started. By 1908, only you know a few years later, relatively, by 1908, the majority of the Chinese elite had followed after Mary's example and spoken out against foot binding. And in 1911, only three years later, the practice was prohibited in China. And although the prohibition was not completely effective in in, in remote areas, it still stopped the suffering of so many young girls. So please, Mr. Documentary uh, Presenter, please continue to tell me how evil the Chinese or the missionaries to the Chinese were. An example of missionary activity during this period include the following. Due to social custom, the women of China were reluctant to be treated by male doctors of Western medicine. This resulted in a demand for female doctors, which really wasn't seen anywhere else. So female doctors started to pop up because of their need inside of China. Thus, female medical missionary Dr. Mary Fulton was sent by Foreign Missions Board of the Presbyterian Church to found the first medical college for women inside of China so that Chinese women could study medicine and practice medicine on other women. Hackett Medical College for Women in Guangzhou was started and dedicated by Edward Hackett from Indiana. I just had to throw that in there because it was a fellow Hoosier that supported the very first women's college uh, to teach medicine. They also, the missionaries were also big pushers of healthcare. Dr. Fred Magnet um, started several hospitals in China to treat the ill in the name of Christ in Huzhou and Shanghai. John Abner Snell was able to build a hospital in Suzhou on nine acres, and it was a massive hospital. And both of these mes- missionaries were supported by the same person who also helped fund a Christian chemistry lab Christian nursing schools that were also built and, and all the trainers needed for them were sent. The whole thing was, was, was funded by Rockefeller, one of the most well-known oil tycoons in all of the United States. He supported missions efforts, completely different than what we would think of today. The other thing that the missionaries did is they helped minorities. Minorities were persecuted in China. Missionaries began to show them that they were equal in value, even though many of them thought that they weren't because they weren't Han Chinese. They weren't the main Chinese. They were minorities. And so therefore they thought of themselves as less. But the Chinese, uh, the missionaries to China came and gave them personal value by telling them about Jesus and how they were created by God. This had never been done before. The status quo of the different statuses inside of China had never been challenged before. The greatest tragedy for missionaries leads to the greatest missionary movement, as we see in the Boxer Rebellion. So even though they did so many good things, there were many missionaries that were killed. But those missionaries that were killed led to the reaction of missionaries abroad that said, I'm going to go and serve in their place. 
the period from 1900 to 1925 directly following the Boxer Rebellion has been called the golden age for Christian missionaries in China. By 1919, there were 3,300 foreign missionaries in China, not counting their children. Divided about equally among married men, married women, and unmarried women and reached the height of 8,000 including children in 1925. In 1926, civil war, political unrest, competition from ideologies such as Marxism and the Great Depression now saw the missionary enterprise inside of China begin to decline. So even though um, Christian missionaries from other countries into China might have been able to um, um, continue doing amazing great things, they actually saw their work go down because of so many challenges that were happening around the world. One of the things that we see inside of China is that this behavior that took place eventually led to um, atheism and communism. You see, there was a dissent of the modernist that did not want to see the Chinese be evangelized. And so they convinced many missionaries to become more, quote-unquote, modern. And so the modernist, what they would do is they would take steps. So if you can imagine steps like on a ladder moving downward, ascending down, at the very top you have Christianity, real Christianity. And then you have next step down. Well, the, the Bible is the book that we use, but it's not infallible. It's not perfect. It's not full of values that are better than your values. Who are we to say that Christian values, Bible values are better than your values? There are certain things in the Bible that the Bible doesn't know. And then we take the next step down. And it says, man not made in God's image. You're not valuable. If you were made in God's image, then you would be valuable. But you're not really made in God's image. And then you take the next step down with the belief that no miracles happen today. And then if you believe that there's no miracles that happen today, then the next step down is to deny the virgin birth to deny that even that the last miracle that you hang on to that doesn't really matter no deity is the next step down you start to doubt in any god at all and if there's no god there can be no atonement if there's no god then there can be no resurrection and that leads to a next step down Agnosticism, to be an agnostic, however you say that word. Um, agnosticism. Does that sound right? I hope so. Listeners, help me. My pronunciation is not so good. And then from being an agnostic, next step down, the final step into the cold, dark cellar is atheism. And modernists that try to keep Christians from sharing inside of China during that time were of the modernist persuasion. But what they did not recognize is that the Chinese were able to bring about a lot of benefits. They taught about the danger of drugs, not just for the Chinese, but for people all around the world. And we still use their ideas of 
running anti-drug campaigns. Women's rights. Long before there was universal suffrage in the United States or in Europe, there was women's rights in China. Healthcare. Healthcare was provided for those that could not afford it. That's why uh, generous donors like Rockefeller allowed um, missionaries to build churches and hospitals and and um, were able to reach out to orphans. And then they helped minorities. So the missionaries that served inside of China served with great dignity and they helped the people. But what they were about to go through was too horrible for many of us to even imagine. We will talk about that on our next episode of Spies, Drugs, and the Great Commission. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem special. I pray that this was a blessing for you, and may God bless. Bless.